Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Otto of the Silver Hand by Howard Pyle, A Ride for Life. But not yet was Otto safe, and all danger passed and gone by. Suddenly, as they stood there, the harsh clangor of a bell broke the silence of the starry night above their heads, and as they raised their faces and looked up, they saw lights flashing from window to window. Presently came the sound of a hoarse voice shouting something that— from the distance they could not understand. One-eyed Hans smote his hand upon his thigh. Look, said he, here is what comes of having a soft heart in one's bosom. I overcame and bound a watchman up yonder, and forced him to tell me where our young baron lay. It was on my mind to run my knife into him after he had told me everything. But then, bethinking how the young baron hated the thought of bloodshed, I said to myself, No, Hans, I will spare the villain's life. See now what comes of being merciful. Here, by hook or by crook, the fellow has loosened himself from his bonds, and brings the whole castle about our ears like a nest of wasps. We must fly, said the baron, for nothing else in the world is left me, now that all have deserted me in this black time of trouble, excepting these six faithful ones. His voice was bitter, bitter as he spoke. Then stooping, he raised Otto in his arms, and bearing him gently, began rapidly descending the rocky slope to the level road that ran along the edge of the hill beneath. Close behind him followed the rest, Hans still grimed with soot and in his bare feet. A little distance from the road, and under the shade of the forest trees, seven horses stood waiting. The baron mounted upon his great black charger, seating little Otto upon the saddle in front of him. "'Forward!' he cried." and away they clattered and out upon the road. Then, to St. Michaelsburg, said Baron Conrad in his deep voice, and the horses' heads were turned to the westward, and away they galloped through the black shadow of the forest, leaving Trude Strachan behind them. But still the sound of the alarm bell rang through the beating of the horses' hooves, and as Hans looked over his shoulder, he saw the light of torches flashing hither and thither along the outer walls in front of the great barbarican. In Castle Trutstrachen, all was confusion and uproar. Flashing torches lit up the dull gray walls, horses neighed and stamped, and men shouted and called to one another in the bustle of making ready. Presently, Baron Henry came striding along the corridor clad in light armor, which he had hastily donned when roused from his sleep by the news that his prisoner had escaped. Below in the courtyard his horse was standing, and without waiting for assistance he swung himself into the saddle. Then away they all rode, and down the steep path, armor ringing, swords clanking, and iron-shod hooves striking sparks of fire from the hard stones. At their head rode Baron Henry, his triangular shield hung over his shoulder, and with his hand he bore a long, heavy, steel-pointed lance, with a pennant flickering darkly from the end. At the high road, at the base of the slope, they paused, for they were at a loss to know which direction the fugitives had taken. Half a score of the retainers leaped from their horses— and began hurrying about hither and thither, and up and down, like hounds searching for the lost scent, and all the time Baron Henry sat still as a rock in the midst of the confusion. Suddenly a shout was raised from the forest just beyond the road, 
they had come upon the place where the horses had been tied. It was an easy matter to trace the way that Baron Conrad and his followers had taken thence back to the high road, but there again they were at a loss. The road ran straight as an arrow eastward and westward. Had the fugitives taken their way to the east or the west? Baron Henry called his headman, Nicholas Stein, to him, and the two spoke together for a while in an undertone. At last the baron's lieutenant reined his horse back, and choosing first one and then another, divided the company up into two parties. The baron placed himself at the head of one band, and Nicholas Stein at the head of the other. Forward, he cried, and away clattered at the two companies of horsemen in opposite directions. It was toward the westward that Baron Henry of Trutstrachen rode at the head of his men. The early springtime sun shot its rays of misty yellow light across the rolling tops of the forest trees, where the little birds were singing in the glory of the May morning. But Baron Henry and his followers thought nothing of the beauty of the peaceful day, and heard nothing of the multitudinous sounds of the singing birds, as with a confused sound of galloping hooves they swept along the highway, leaving behind them a slow-curling, low-trailing cloud of dust. As the sun rose more full and warm, the misty wreaths began to dissolve, until at last they parted and rolled asunder, like a white curtain, and there, before the pursuing horsemen, lay the crest of the mountain toward which they were riding, and up which the road wound steeply. "'Yonder they are!' cried a sudden voice behind Baron Henry of Trutstraten, and at the cry all looked upward. Far away upon the mountainside curled a cloud of dust, from the midst of which there came the star-like flash of burnished armor gleaming in the sun. Baron Henry never said a word, but his lips curled in a grim smile. And, as the mist-wreaths parted, one-eyed Hans looked behind and down into the leafy valley beneath. "'Yonder they come,' said he. "'They have followed sharply to gain so much upon us, even though our horses are wearied with all the traveling we have done hither and yon these five days past.' "'How far is it, Lord Baron, from here to Michaelsburg?' "'About ten leagues,' said the Baron, in a gloomy voice. Hans puckered his mouth as though to whistle, but the Baron saw nothing of it, for he was gazing straight before him with a set and stony face. Those who followed him looked at one another, and the same thought was in the mind of each. How long would it be before those who pursued would close the distance between them? When that happened it meant death to one and all.' They reached the crest of the hill, and down they dashed upon the other side, for there the road was smooth and level as it sloped away into the valley, but it was in dead silence that they rode. Now and then those who followed the baron looked back over their shoulders. They had gained a mile upon their pursuers when the helmeted heads rose above the crest of the mountain, but what was that gain of a mile with a smooth road between them and fresh horses to weary ones? On they rode and on they rode. The sun rose higher and higher and hotter and hotter. There was no time to rest and water their panting horses. Only once, when they crossed a shallow stretch of water, the poor animals bent their heads and caught a few gulps from the cool stream, and the one-eyed Hans washed a part of the suit from his hands and face. On and on they rode. Never once did the Baron Conrad move his head or alter that steadfast look, as, gazing straight before him, he rode steadily forward along the endless stretch of road, with poor little Otto's yellow head and white face resting against his steel-clad shoulder, and St. Michaelsburg still eight leagues away. A little rise of ground lay before them, and as they climbed it, all, excepting the baron, turned their heads as one accord and looked behind them. 
Then more than one heart failed, for through the leaves of the trees below they caught the glint of armor of those who followed, not more than a mile away. The next moment they swept over the crest, and there, below them, lay the broad shining river, and nearer a tributary stream spanned by a rude, narrow, three-arched stone bridge where the road crossed the deep, slow-moving water. Down the slope plodded the weary horses, and so to the bridgehead. "'Halt!' cried the baron suddenly, and drew rein. The others stood bewildered. What did he mean to do? He turned to Hans, and his blue eyes shone like steel. "'Hans,' said he in his deep voice, "'thou hast served me long and truly. Wilt thou for this one last time do my bidding?' "'Aye,' said Hans briefly. "'Swear it,' said the baron. "'I swear it,' said Hans, and he drew the sign of the cross upon his heart. "'That is good,' said the baron grimly. "'Then take thou this child, and then all the others ride with all speed that thou canst to St. Michaelsburg. Give the child into the charge of the abbot Otto. Tell him how I have sworn fealty to the emperor, and what I have gained thereby, my castle burnt, my people slain, and this poor simple child, my only son, mutilated by my enemy.' "'And thou, my lord baron?' said Hans." I will stay here, said the baron quietly, and keep back those who follow as long as God will give me grace so to do. A murmur of remonstrance arose among the faithful few who were with him, two of whom were near of kin. But Conrad of Drachenhausen turned fiercely upon them. How now, said he, have I fallen so low in my troubles that even ye dare to raise your voices against me? By the good heaven, I will begin my work here by slaying the first man who dares raise word against my bidding. Then he turned from them. Here, Hans, he said, take the boy, and remember, knave, what thou hast sworn. He pressed Otto close to his breast in one last embrace. My little child, he murmured, try not to hate thy father when thou thinkest of him hereafter, even though he be hard and bloody as thou knowest. But, with his suffering and weakness, little Otto knew nothing of what was passing. It was only as if in a faint, flickering dream that he lived in what was done around him. "'Farewell, Otto,' said the baron. But Otto's lips only moved faintly in answer. His father kissed him once upon either cheek. "'Come, Hans,' said he hastily. "'Take him hence,' and he loosed Otto's arms from about his neck. Hans took Otto upon the saddle in front of him. "'Oh, my dear Lord Baron,' said he and then stopped with a gulp, and turned his grotesquely twitching face aside. "'Go,' said the baron harshly. "'There is no time to lose in women's tears.' "'Farewell, Conrad. Farewell, Conrad,' said his two kinsmen, and coming forward they kissed him upon the cheek, then they turned and rode away after Hans, and Baron Conrad was left alone to face his mortal foe. How Baron Conrad Held the Bridge as the last of his followers swept around the curving road and was lost to sight, Baron Conrad gave himself a shake, as though to drive away the thoughts that lay upon him. Then he rode slowly forward to the middle of the bridge, where he wheeled his horse so as to face his coming enemies. He lowered the visor of his helmet and bolted it to its place, then saw that sword and dagger were loose in the scabbard, and easy to draw when the need for drawing should arise. Down the steep path from the hill above swept the pursuing horsemen, down the steep path to the bridgehead, and there drew rein, for in the middle of the narrow way sat the motionless, steel-clad figure upon the great war-horse, with wide, red, panting nostrils, and body streaked with sweat and flecked with patches of foam. One side of the roadway of the bridge was guarded by a lone stone wall. 
The other side was naked and open and bare to the deep, slow-moving water beneath. It was a dangerous place to attack a desperate man clad in armor of proof. "'Forward!' cried the Baron Henry, but not a soul stirred in answer. And still the iron-clad figure sat motionless and erect upon the panting horse. "'How!' cried the Baron Henry. "'Are ye afraid of one man? Then follow me!' And he spurred forward to the bridgehead. But still no one moved in answer, and the Lord of Trutstrachen reined back his horse again. He wheeled his horse and glared around at the stolid faces of his followers, till his eyes seemed fairly to blaze with passion beneath the bars of his visor. Baron Conrad gave a roar of laughter. "'How now!' he cried. "'Are ye all afraid of one man? Is there none among thee that dares to come forward and meet me?' "'I know thee, Baron Henry. Thou art not afraid to cut the hand off of a little child. Hast thou not the courage to face the father?' Baron Henry gnashed his teeth with rage as he glared around upon the faces of his men-at-arms. Suddenly his eye lit upon one of them. "'Ha! Carl Spiegler!' he cried. "'Thou hast thy crossbow with thee. Shoot me down yonder dog!' "'Nay,' he said. "'Thou canst do him no harm under his armor. Shoot the horse upon which he sits.' Baron Conrad heard the speech. "'Oh, thou coward villain!' he cried. "'Stay! Do not shoot the good horse!' I will dismount and fight ye upon foot. Thereupon, armed as he was, he leaped clashing from his horse, and turning the animal's head, gave it a slap upon the flank. The good horse first trotted, then walked to the further end of the bridge, where it stopped and began cropping at the grass that grew beside the road. "'Now then!' cried Baron Henry fiercely. "'Now then! Ye cannot fear him, villains! Down with him! Forward!' Slowly the troopers spurred their horses forward upon the bridge, and toward that one figure that, grasping tightly the great two-handed sword, stood there alone guarding the passage. Then Baron Conrad whirled the great blade above his head, till it caught the sunlight and flashed again. He did not wait for the attack, but when the first of the advancing horsemen had come within a few feet of him, he leaped with a shout upon them. The fellow thrust at him with his lance, and the baron went staggering a few feet back, but instantly he recovered himself and again leaped forward. The great sword flashed in the air, whistling. It fell, and the nearest man dropped his lance, clattering, and with a loud, inarticulate cry, grasped the mane of his horse with both hands. Again the blade whistled in the air, and this time it was stained with red. Again it fell, and with another shrill cry the man toppled headlong beneath the horse's feet. The next instant they were upon him, each striving to strike at the one figure, to ride him down, or to thrust him down with their lances. There was no room now to swing the long blade, but holding the hilt in both hands, Baron Conrad thrust it as though it were a lance, stabbing at horse or man, it mattered not. Crowded upon the narrow roadway of the bridge, those who had attacked had not only to guard themselves against the dreadful strokes of that terrible sword— but to keep their wounded horses, rearing and mad with fright, from toppling bodily over with them into the water beneath. Presently the cry was raised, Back! Back! And those nearest the baron began reining in their horses. Forward! roared Baron Henry from the midst of the crowd. But in spite of his command, and even the blows that he gave, those behind were borne back by those in front, struggling and shouting, and the bridge was cleared again, excepting for three figures that lay motionless upon the roadway, and that one, who with the brightness of his armor dimmed and stained, leaned panting against the wall of the bridge. 
the Baron Henry raged like a madman. Gnashing his teeth together, he rode back a little way. Then turning and couching his lance, he suddenly clapped spurs to his horse, and the next instant came thundering down upon his solitary enemy. Baron Conrad whirled his sword in the air as he saw the other coming like a thunderbolt upon him. He leaped aside, and the lance passed close to him. As it passed, he struck, and the iron point flew from the shaft of the spear at the blow and fell clattering upon the stone roadway of the bridge. Baron Henry drew in his horse until it rested upon its haunches, then slowly reined it backward down the bridge, still facing his foe and still holding the wooden stump of the lance in his hand. At the bridgehead he flung it from him. "'Another lance!' he cried hoarsely. One was silently reached to him, and he took it, his hand trembling with rage. Again he rode to a little distance and wheeled his horse. Then, driving his steel spurs into its quivering side, he came again thundering down upon the other. Once more the terrible sword whirled in the air and fell, but this time the lance was snatched to one side and the blow fell harmlessly. The next instant, and with a twitch of the bridle rein, the horse struck full and fair against the man. Conrad of Drachenhausen was whirled backward and downward, and the cruel iron hooves crashed over his prostrate body, as horse and man passed with a rush beyond him into the bridgehead beyond. A shout went up from those who were wa stood watching. The next moment the prostrate figure rose and staggered blindly to the side of the bridge, and stood leaning against the stone wall. At the further end of the bridge Baron Henry had wheeled his horse. Once again he couched Lance, and again he drove down upon his bruised and wounded enemy. This time the Lance struck full and fair, and those who watched saw the seal point pierce the iron breastplate and then snap short, leaving the barbed point within the wound. Baron Conrad sunk to his knees, and the Roderberg, looming upon his horse above him, unsheathed his sword to finish the work he had begun. Then those who had stood looking on saw a wondrous thing happen. The wounded man rose suddenly to his feet, and before his enemy could strike he leaped, with a great and bitter cry of agony and despair, upon him as he sat in the saddle above. Henry of Trutstratzen grasped at his horse's mane, but the attack was so fierce, so sudden, and so unexpected, that before he could save himself he was dragged to one side and fell crashing in his armor upon the stone roadway of the bridge. "'The dragon! The dragon!' roared Baron Conrad, in a voice of thunder, and with the energy of despair he dragged his prostrate foe toward the open side of the bridge. "'Forward!' cried the chief of the Trutstrachen men, and down they rode upon the struggling knights to the rescue of their master in this new danger. But they were too late. There was a pause at the edge of the bridge, for Baron Henry had gained his feet, and stunned as be and bewildered as he was by the suddenness of his fall, he was now struggling fiercely, desperately. For a moment they stood swaying backward and forward, clasped in one another's arms, the blood from the wounded man's breast staining the armor of the both. The moment passed, and then, with a shower of stones and mortar from beneath their iron-shod heels, they toppled and fell. There was a thunderous splash in the water below and as the men-at-arms came hurrying up and peered with awestruck faces over the parapet of the bridge, they saw the whirling eddies sweep down with the current of the stream, a few bubbles rise to the surface of the water, and then nothing, for the smooth river flowed on as silently as ever. Presently a loud voice burst through the odd hush that followed. It came from William of Roderberg, Baron Henry's kinsman, 
Forward, he cried. A murmur of voices from the others was all the answer he received. Forward, cried the young man again. The boy and those with him are not so far away, but that we might yet catch up with them. Then one of the men spoke up in answer, a man with a seamed, weather-beaten face and crisp, grisly hair. Nay, said he, our Lord Baron is gone, and this is no quarrel of ours. Here be four of us that are wounded, and three, I misdoubt, are dead. Why should we follow further only to suffer more blows for no gain? A growl of assent rose from those that stood around, and William of Roderberg saw that nothing more was to be done by the Trutz dragons that day. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends. Happy reading.